After the Virus, Season 1, Episode 8. At the end of the last episode, Will was sifting through the rubble of the devastating wildfire. The idea for the fire was probably unavoidable for me, as during the writing of the story, the worst wildfire in a century roared through my neighboring community of Paradise, California, claiming 85 lives and destroying a home that I owned there. Since that time, another catastrophic fire burned the nearby community of Berry Creek. It's clear that fire was in the back of my mind as I wrote about the hot and dry summer landscape of Deer Creek Canyon, not 50 miles from Paradise. Unlike Paradise and Berry Creek, the Episode 7 fire was in an unpopulated area. Will tempted fate by trying to get to the cache with the fire approaching. Once the fire had passed, Will searches for hope. Was she as lucky? Hope was not around. I had not expected her to be. Most of our gear was burnt or singed. All of our meat and basketry was lost. Picking through the rubble, I only found one of the guns, the 270. It was ruined, but none of the other guns were there. Hope had taken the guns? But had she been able to outrun the fire? Heading back to the creek, I continued upstream. Where the riparian corridor gave way to pines, right down to the creek, every tree was burned, devoid of a single needle, though most were still standing. As I picked my way around a smoking log, I heard a voice. It was hope. Dirty, damp, and bedraggled, we ran for each other and hugged and sobbed without speaking. Then we compared stories. She had seen the smoke early, and as it grew, she loaded as much of our gear as she could carry into the backpack. The bow, the guns, the ammo, the knives, and the hatchet. One sleeping bag and some food, she struggled to carry the heavy pack, and before long, the fire was crowning through the trees behind her. She headed for the creek, found a protected spot between some large rocks in midstream, and waited while the fire passed. At its hottest, she submerged herself and the pack. Then she had a fitful night, as I had. She spent this morning drying out the gear. Every rock around us had one or two items drying in the smoky warmth. In the late afternoon, we cleared a spot in the cinders and laid out the single sleeping bag as padding. We ate salted venison and salmon jerky ravenously and slept hard. June 28th. Today, the reality of our situation started sinking in. Although Hope had done a great job of saving our most critical equipment, some very important things were lost. While we had three out of the four guns, we had no bullets. Other than those in the guns, all were kept fully loaded. We had the bow, but no arrows, although we were able to salvage our homemade arrowheads from the ashes. All of the fishing gear had melted other than some survival fishing line I kept in my pack. Our meat had been submerged long enough that it is sure to rot or mold soon, so we'll eat as much as we can as soon as we can. We had only the clothes on our back, one sleeping bag, and Hope's deerskin poncho. Good thing it's summer. Some of these things won't be important in the near future, but we are severely undersupplied for the coming winter. We'll have to work tirelessly to replace what was lost. 
The cash might be our salvation, as there was pretty much one of everything we lost stored there. The day had cooled to a tolerable 98 degrees. Although we could see that the fire was still active to the east and north of us, we were safe to head south through the burn scar towards the cache. A two-hour hike across the lunar landscape provided us a good look at the devastation. The fire had burned very hot, and most of the pines and oaks were reduced to smoking poles. Landmarks were hard to recognize. Cabin Flat not only had no cabins, it had no live trees at all, and the vehicles that had been left there were reduced to bodies and frames. Our old cave was completely exposed. All of the vegetation that had obscured it was now gone. Hiking uphill, my heart sank with every step. There ahead were the twisted metal parts that had been the helicopter. I had made some fatal errors in securing the cache. The brush and limbs that covered it had been great camouflage, but had invited the fire into the fold. We picked through the rubble and found some salvageable items, mostly metal parts, a knife blade with no handle, a rifle with no stock, a shovel head, some unlabeled cans that might still hold edible food. We packed these items and returned to our temporary camp by the creek. It had been a long, disappointing trip. We opened some of the mystery cans, consumed their contents, and fell immediately to sleep. June 29th. I woke this morning wondering what had happened to the woman up the canyon. It was clear that the fire had made its way towards the cabin, but unclear if it had burned all the way to it. Hope and I made the now familiar hike, but again the altered landscape was sometimes deceptive. About a half mile from the cabin, the burn ended at a marshy meadow, and the remaining distance was untouched by the fire. As before, we stopped short of the cabin to watch and listen before approaching. Seeing and hearing nothing, we made up the remaining distance and found the front door opened and the few remaining food and comfort items missing. Apparently the woman, or someone else, has been back since our last visit but had abandoned the dwelling as the fire approached. We spent most of the remainder of the morning searching for her, but she had completely vanished. Frustrated and weary, we tore a page from the journal and left her a short note, just in case she ever returned. We spent the walk back to our supplies, discussing our options. There are no good caves near our current camping spot, and with all the vegetation removed, all of the game has been driven out or burned. Heading south or west would take us back towards urban centers, a prospect neither of us relish. East takes us to higher elevation, north to the expansive wilderness between Deer and Mill Creeks, and eventually to the sacred Black Rock Monolith and the large caves where the Yahi of Ishi's tribe had been ambushed and slaughtered. The wilderness beyond the burn would be rich with game, and we could migrate east through it as summer progressed, following the deer herd toward the cooler slopes of Mount Lassen. We have lost most of our supplies. We need more food, new tools, and new weapons. We decide to head toward Mill Creek and then on towards Mount Lassen, and pray that we can build our stores before winter. June 30th. Packed all of our remaining possessions in my large backpack while Hope stuffed the small pack that we virtually always carry with the remaining items. Hiked all day across ridges and canyons and finally made it to Cave Spring, where we set up a temporary camp. July 1st. 
Although the night was warm, we stayed cool near the seeping spring, which trickled down the sheer, north-facing rock face next to us. Unless one knew where to look, and few did, Cave Spring was hard to see from most directions, occupying a tall but shallow indentation facing Mill Creek Canyon. We will stay here a few days, try to build up our stores, then seek a more permanent dwelling. We had picked edibles all along our hike yesterday, but were feeling a little food deficient. So today, we were intent on securing some more substantial nourishment. We set a number of snares near our campsite, then I took our only remaining rifle and Hope took the pistol to look for larger game. Hiking through a mix of blue oak, dry grasses, and chaparral, we both became aware of an increasing hum. Following our ears, we came to a mostly dead, large oak with a cavernous canker, out of which buzzed a steady stream of honeybees. Knowing that the tree must be full of honey, and that it would be a great source of energy and calories for us, we backed off to develop a strategy for how to get some without getting badly stung. We decided that I would cover my skin as well as possible, which meant tucking pants into socks, shirts into pants, bandana over my face, and going back to camp for the sleeping bag for extra protection. The plan was further complicated by the need to create a smoky fire at the base of the tree and the fact that we had no matches left, meaning that we would need to collect a few materials to make a bow drill. Different pieces of wood for the bow, the spindle, the hearthboard, the handpiece, and some tinder. We could use a bootlace for the bowstring. I suited up, tied the sleeping bag around me, and quietly approached the hive. The cavern ran from the base of the tree to where the hive was hidden, inside the tree about five feet up. I set up my tinder inside the bottom of the cavity, with a pile of leaves and sticks next to it and a few larger pieces of both dry and green wood just outside. Bees began bouncing off of me, warning me to keep away. Moving a little ways from the tree, I began spinning the drill with the bow eventually creating a little wisp of smoke. Within a minute, I teased an ember out of the hole created at the edge of the hearthboard and into the fine dried grass I had formed. Puffing at the ember delicately, we watched it burst into flames in my hands. Hurrying to the cavern at the base of the tree, I placed the burning cup into the large tinder pile and with bees now bombing me, placed the leaves and sticks on top of that. With the small fire firmly established, I added the larger sticks, on top of which I added the green sticks, and watched the heavy white smoke billow right up into the cavity. Brushing off as many bees as I could, I was stung twice, once on my wrist, and once on the small part of my face left uncovered. I pulled the sleeping bag tight around me for additional protection. I could hear Hope fretting and encouraging me to hurry from a distance. Placing more leaves on the fire, I blew on it to create more smoke. Although the buzzing continued and many of the bees flew away, the remaining bees became less active as the smoke provided the desired lethargy. I was stung once more on the neck, but now had a heavy plume of smoke calming the bees in the tree. It was now or never. Reaching up into the tree with my knife, I cut around the large comb, hewing off a piece the size of a bread loaf. This size comb would produce more than enough honey to fill one or two of our canteens. So brushing off the bees, I ran quickly, got a hundred yards away from the hive, 
before brushing off the remaining bees, throwing off the hot sleeping bag and enjoying Hope's excited cheers. We headed back to camp, chewing on honeycomb, wax and all. Squeezing the comb with our bare hands, we quickly filled the canteen. This is energy we can use for days, and there was still more where that came from. By the time we were done and had licked the honey off of our fingers, hands, and wrists, it was midday. Abandoning our hunting plans, we went to check our snares and were happy to have caught a large wood rat. We spitted it over a small fire and had it for lunch. We spent the heat of the afternoon napping some stone arrow points from some quartz that we had found, all the while reviewing many of the other skills I had taught her. Near dusk, we rechecked our snares and had one gray squirrel, which we spitted and split as we had the wood rat. July 2nd. After having pine needle tea with honey, we again headed out with our guns. It has been so long since we've seen anyone, and we are so distant from any communities, that I feel comfortable shooting as needed. This time we got lucky as we spotted a healthy doe, not 10 minutes from camp. I used just one of my five remaining bullets to drop it. Then we spent the entire day drying and smoking the meat, the little bit of fat rendered for future use. With the heat, much of the meat is fully jerked by day's end. With no salt for the hide, we use the late afternoon to thoroughly scrape the inside of the cape, then dig a pit which we fill with water from the spring to immerse the hide. I'm much relieved to again have a large supply of meat which will sustain us well for the foreseeable days. To be certain that nothing steals the meat, I keep as much of it as I can with me in my pack. Hope carries some, and the rest we hang from the cliff above us. July 3rd. Today we found a large clump of Himalayan blackberries about 200 yards below the spring. We ate our fill, then I took off my shirt and filled it with more berries, which we added to our pantry. Once at camp, we squeezed many of them and poured the juice into a couple of our leftover tin cans. The resulting wad of crushed berries I lay on a large rock in the sun to dry. By afternoon, the crushed berries were completely dehydrated, so Hope and I spent the entire afternoon combining the rendered deer fat with the pulverized jerky and the berry pulp into slender sausages. I had kept the deer intestines moist specifically to stuff with this mixture. These pemmican sausages will keep for weeks if we keep them dry and out of the heat, and they provide terrific nourishment. July 4th. Assuming that I have the date correct, as I write this, I'm reminded of the Independence Day holiday and how the country used to celebrate it and how our family used to watch the fireworks shows at the county fairgrounds. Now I know the true meaning of independence and also of dependence. For the last four months, I've been completely independent of the collapsed society I left behind and in the past week have been liberated of most of my man-made possessions. This pride in my ability to survive is bittersweet. The price of it was losing much of what I loved. But I also learned dependence. Dependence on every rock, plant, and animal that surrounds me, sustains me. I'm part of a complicated fabric that works together. Everything around me has a use, as a tool, as a weapon, as food, as security. What do I contribute to the fabric? 
The carbon dioxide I exhale is used by the trees to produce sugar and cellulose. My urine returns some minerals and moisture to the earth. My feces, too, provides nutrients. When I die, mammals, birds, insects, and other organisms will derive sustenance from my carrion. And then there's human dependence. I might have given up a few weeks ago if not for hope. Not only because she needs me, but because I need her. Humans are social animals. Hope is my salvation. Tonight we celebrated the 4th of July by building a large fire among the rocks against the rock face and watching the shadows dance against the cliff. That's it for Episode 8. Check back next Friday for Episode 9. And thanks again for listening.